All right, all right, all right. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, right alongside none other than John Tesh. How are you, John? Everybody's going to think you're Michael... Uh... Michael, Michael, Michael McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey, Matthew. I knew oh something. My gosh. I knew something was wrong oh with that. Oh my god! You gosh. know how many years have I been off entertainment tonight? I don't apparently, remember. Apparently, apparently a few too many. Yeah, uh-huh. He's an Oscar winner now. Yeah. Okay. I know. Really? I know. I, lo- I love him. He's he's great, especially when he goes nuts and loses a lot of weight and does that stuff, I mean, he, and, I, which I love. I love when actors <clears> pour <throat> themselves into something completely like that. It makes me yeah, very, it yeah, makes yeah. very happy. Anyway, you reminded me of him. There you go. Well, thank because I said all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited about today uh, yeah. because I, you know, I read this. I read Patrick's book years and years. By the way, ago. our guest today is Patrick McCune. Yeah. Author of the Oxygen Advantage. That's the book he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, and and I, I, you had to remind me that 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 I spent like a, the next two weeks with my mouth taped shut when I, I was, remember it, and I, I didn't understand sleeping. what you were doing. Now you do. Yeah, yeah. And so so he's going to tell us basically. He's Patrick McCune wrote this book, The Oxygen Advantage, and he is the uh, the clinical director at the Buteco Clinic uh, International in Ireland, and his philo- his his statement is that we are all breathing wrong and it's creating all kinds of issues everything from asthma sleep apnea but it, go, it gets into because of its effect it gets into adhd and bipolar disorder and all kinds of mental illness so um yeah that's and, and a lot of it is that we're supposed to be breathing through our nose right that, that's 99 percent of it it's wow. why the tape thing works oh, so i've got I, I'll, I'll put wait. links to his favorite tapes for your mouth that's right he's got a favorite mouth tape uh, in the show notes, and I got it on Amazon. Yeah, you yeah. can you can get all kinds, of, and uh, he also wants you to get a pulse ox meter. So I'm gonna put his pulse ox meter that he prefers in in the show notes as well, so you can see uh, when you're doing his exercises how your your blood is. is and what reacting. and when you, when you've been doing his exercises, do you feel like you have more energy or focus or? Uh, absolutely, and and it's, it's it can be a little disorienting at first because you're you're really wanting to breathe deeper. He says we're actually we're not just breathing wrong; we're breathing too shallow. And exchanging too much too much gas, we need more carbon dioxide in our blood. He'll tell you exactly. Isn't that why. crazy? Oh, we don't think about amazing. needing carbon dioxide in our blood, but yeah, that's that's the deal. Now, before I turn you loose, I wanted to uh, uh, get your opinion on a couple of things. One is uh, there's a there's a new thing from the uh, a study from the Journal of Environmental Psychology, just saying that if you want your brain to fire on all cylinders and really be hacked up into Focusville, then you just need to brew a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee. And you don't even have to drink it. And I know it's tough well, telling you like that. Can I drink it? You can drink it. But it turns out the smell of coffee can improve analytical thinking. Now, analytical skills, you know this, but mm. I didn't, are the ability to visualize, to gather information, analyze, and solve complex problems, or even just make decisions. So it's pretty much everything that's important in your life. Right. Everything that we need successful. to do on a constant basis right now in modern society. Yeah. So the, the study subjects, they took a math test in a room that was scented with coffee. Uh, and when they did that, uh, against the people who... who uh, were in a room that didn't have the scent of coffee in there. They had significantly higher scores uh, in all kinds of different test taking. I look, if I think coffee is always better than no coffee, you mm-hmm. know. And this is just another way of saying we all need a little more coffee in our lives. And I make coffee in a, a in a Chemex. It's like an open brewing method. Right. So my whole house smells like coffee when I make coffee. Yeah, it's and you don't really get the super coffee smell if you don't make it like that. No, a the- coffee maker, it's all closed off. None right. of the gas is released. Right. My house, the aroma of coffee 
wakes you up. It's 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 phenomenal. The best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. Oh. The best part of waking up is the smell of coffee in my house. Yeah, that's great. So this just to, if you want to right before a test or something, just bring some coffee beans in. And if you can't bring a coffee into the test place, right, just bring a, uh, coffee beans in a little Ooh, plastic bag. Coffee scented number two pencils. Oh, I like it. Brought to you by Intelligence yeah, yeah. for Your Life. I sure where you were going there, yeah. but I get it. Okay, and then one more t- uh, tip before we get to uh, to Patrick's uh, interview with uh, with Gib. Uh, we now <laughs> we, we now know that uh, yeah. Okay, so we're we're on the other side of the new year, right? Mm-hmm. And almost every time this year, like in the last five to ten years, it was diet fitness books right. that were in the top ten. They right? call it it's, diet season. Yeah. Now uh, it's different this year, and this is from d- data from Barnes and Noble and also Amazon. People are focusing less on losing weight and getting in shape and more on reducing stress and increasing self-esteem. Yeah. So, so some of the big books are Jan Sincero's book, uh, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life, and Jordan Peterson, he's very popular now, 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos. Yes, and what I think this is a reaction to is that we have, we have so much diet information out there. We have these super gyms available in almost every major city. We have... All of and and look, I think I think people are still going to make New Year's resolutions to lose weight, but but we have all of this stuff, and none of us is happy. We all we all just kind of all this stuff has just added stress to our lives, and I think I think 2018 and now and now going into 2019 is the time when we've just finally realized we need to take a step back and um and 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 figure out what's important to us. So that's everything from digital minimalism, which is a new fact, which right. is a new thing yeah. where you. You get rid of apps on your phone because of the chaos it Right, and you're going to be interviewing Cal Newport about that uh, yes, soon. Yes, yeah. I am, and uh, he's, he's scheduled in the podcast in the next month. Uh, but you know, and, and also that the um, tidying up book where you, where you look at everything in your right, house and right. you touch it. Because we have so much cheap stuff and so much nothing is real anymore, <laughs> that we're trying to really get back to that. And right. I, think, I, think right. that's, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a healthy thing for our society to be doing right now. What's really funny is I, I've watched just in the last six months with you doing uh, more and more of these types of interviews that uh, the stuff that you're interested in is different than it was uh, years ago when you were really f- focused on, I guess we all were, on the smartphone apps and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but three of the basic things that, um, that you're doing more of is, is, one, journaling. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, two is, is and, it, and it's funny how if you do these three things, your whole life just starts to fall into, into place. So journaling, for many reasons that we won't get into right now. Uh, also, uh, breathing correctly, which we're mm-hmm. going to talk to Patrick McEwen around. About and then taking cold showers. Yeah, well, that's see, that's 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 Vim Hof. That's your thing, and I I, I got to start doing that. I'm not very good about yeah, the cold shower thing. It's yeah. just my time. I like the shower. Yeah. So we're gonna figure out now. We're gonna find out uh, the best way to breathe for a better life. Yes. Before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to Amy Loves who shared our podcast on Instagram and tagged me in it. Thank you so much, Amy. That's the kind of stuff that that, that really that I appreciate. So I want to give you a shout out. Thank well, now you. and Amy, now you have a ministry because you're helping people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for doing that. So now here here is my interview with uh, with Patrick McCune. Patrick McCune, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? Good, Gabe. How are you? Uh, so you work at uh, you've you obviously you've written you've written a book that is that is. A very popular, the Oxygen Advantage, but uh, but your day to day work is at the Buteco Clinic International. Um, it's both. So the story goes that you know I came across breathing by accident. I had health issues myself. I was a chronic asthmatic, and that also my sleep was affected, concentration. So 
I started learning how to breathe through my nose just by accident. And this was back in 1997, 1998. It was after I read a newspaper article about a Russian doctor, Konstantin Buteko. So I made the transition from mouth to nose breathing because I was a chronic mouth breather all the way through my childhood years into my teenage years and into my early 20s. And when, when you say that to somebody, they probably don't put, put any heat in it. However, any of the yeah, listeners... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a big deal. No, it doesn't. But yet, when we look at the world of sleep and when we look at the world of, of stress and anxiety and also asthma, it is a huge ramification. Um, because if you're breathing through an open mouth, in very simple terms, you're twice as likely to have sleep problems. It significantly increases the risk of snoring. It's drying out the upper airways. Mm. It's trauma to the upper airways. So any, any of your listeners who wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, they're unlikely to, to wake up feeling refreshed. So it was when I started breathing through, through my nose, within, within a couple of days, my sleep, my energy levels had transformed. Um, and that's after about 15, 20 years, you know, of chronic mouth breathing. And really where it boils down to is concentration. My concentration throughout high school and throughout university was very poor. I didn't have the ability to hold my attention on the subject. And as a result, I'd have to keep on reading it and reading it and reading mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, maybe a teacher could say that the child is a little bit slow. And it wasn't that. And we know that many children with ADD, ADHD, poor concentration, and um, that the problem can be back to sleep and most notably how they breed. So something as simple as breathing through the nose, it's an innate kind of function of the human being. And we've always been doing it, but it's become relatively now common to mouth breed, so much so that 50% of studied children uh, show persistent mouth breathing. And that has a detrimental impact, not just on the child, but also on the adult. Like even from a stress point of view, Stanford Medical School, they brought out research in March of 2017 um, if you were to Google Stanford and slow breathing. And they said that there's a new, there's a structure in the brain that's newly identified in the locus corollis. And this structure is spying on your breathing. And if you breathe fast, your, your brain gets agitated and you're more likely to be stressed. And if you really breathe slow, the mind calms down. Well, mouth breathing is fast breathing always because the mouth has very little resistance to breathing. So somebody who's breathing through the upper, through the mouth, they're more likely to breathe fast and they breathe using their upper chest and they're more likely to be in fight or flight, not just fight or flight for short periods of time, but fight or flight both during wakefulness and also during sleep. So mental health is affected. Sleep is affected and respiration is affected. So, yeah. So coming back to your question, um, the first 14 years I worked primarily with health and then in 2011, 12, I started writing a book on sports performance. Now, I've already written seven books, um, but they were all about health. They were about anxiety or asthma or whatever. So sports performance was linking. How can we breed to optimize um, performance in sports? And that's what I was joining the dots in that one. Oh, so, OK, so, but you're saying you're saying that mouth breathing leads to all these problems. I understand the sleep connection, but why yes. why throughout the day in athletic performance? And what, what is mouth breathing doing uh, that's interfering with my concentration when I'm at school? What's, what's it doing that's interfering with my athletic performance? Well, from a terms, from the point of view, like if you're breathing through an open mouth, you tend to be breathed hard and fast. So the mind is more excited. And if the mind is excited, it's difficult to hold your attention on anything because 
a lot of distracting thoughts can get in and also fatigue. You know, I work with people coming in with mental health problems and, you know, I can get, cite you an example. This lady comes in with bipolar disease, um, bipolar depression. And I'm talking to her and I said, like, how do you wake up when you wake up in the morning? And she says, I wake up exhausted. And I mm -hmm. said, has your doctor ever uh, recommended a sleep study? And she said, no. And this is the issue with a lot of conditions in that there's often symptoms which are common to a number of conditions. Like, and maybe the doctor is saying, well, the depression is causing the exhaustion. But how about poor sleep causing the exhaustion? Right. And if you're exhausted all the time, that's going to feed back into depression. So we have a cycle here and sleep is really important. And it's not just about the quantity of sleep. You know, it's really about the quality of sleep. And one of the top sleep doctors in the world, he's also a Stanford-based medical doctor. Um, his doctor is, his name is Dr. Christian Guimino. So he's originally a French doctor, still a French doctor, of course, but he's been living in the United States for many years, for many decades. And he discovered obstructive sleep apnea back in the 1970s. Well, of course, obstructive sleep apnea has always been around, but he coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea and he also developed what's called the apnea hypopnea index. Now, most recently, in the last three to four years, he's been writing papers about the importance of nasal breathing as being the only valid and complete correction of sleep disorder breathing. So here you have the sleep doctor in the world who's advocating it. But yet we know that men over 40 years of age, they're six times more likely to breathe through an open mouth during sleep. And they, too, are the, are the groups that are most at risk of obstructive sleep apnea. And of course, snoring and upper airway resistance syndrome. All right. So, okay. But again, that's that's based on the sleep. All right. Let's take a step, yes. a step back even further. Okay. I absolutely yeah. understand <laughs> the connection between breathing, sleep, yes. and mental health. So, if you're not breathing well, yes. you are not sleeping well. And if you're not sleeping well, then obviously your brain is not functioning optimally. We we, we absolutely Correct. have talked a lot about that, but you're saying that what that that by breathing through our mouths while we sleep, we dry out our upper airways. We um, we we breathe so intensely that it interrupts our sleep, right? Yes, you you have light sleep. Okay. Um, so you know, in terms of there has been as well studies on this. Um, looking at individuals, what happens when their noses is blocked, when their noses is plugged, that they're forced to breathe through an open mouth. Their sleep is lighter and they don't sleep deep. So they wake up more tired in the morning, but also they've got a greater risk of having obstructive events because if you take about collapse of the upper airways, and when we're talking about the upper airways, we're talking about, in simple terms, it's the throat, um, and it's the back of the airway where the airway, you know, the nose meets the throat and the mouth meets the throat. And obstructive the, the pharynx, is, correct? The pharynx? Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, so obstructive sleep apnea is when there's collapse of the upper airway during sleep. Now, if you have your mouth open, you're taking air in through the mouth. And as a result, your tongue isn't in the right position. And um, so ideally that the tongue, the correct resting posture of the tongue is in the roof of the mouth. And if your tongue is in the roof of the mouth, you're pulling your tongue out of the airway. In other words, it's not falling back into the throat. So even in a simple thing. That mouth breathing, not only does it change the architecture of the airway, but it also increases the risk of the tongue falling back into the throat. And, and that's that's the obstruction in obstructive exactly. sleep apnea. Yes, okay. yes. And it can also cause what's called a hypopnea. And a hypopnea is when there's a reduction to the flow of your breathing that's lasting for more than 10 seconds. But 
it's not always 100% that people who are experiencing these events wake up fatigued, right. but it's it's fairly common that they do. Um, so a number of things that, yes, mouth breathing is causing light sleep and mouth breathing is also increasing the risk of adverse events. Now, I remember your question earlier on and you're asking about like, how can mouth breathing then impact physical exercise? Well, if you're yeah. somebody who's breathing through their mouth during rest, what happens is their body develops a, a pattern of breathing a volume of air that's greater than what they, they require. For example, we have somebody now working in our office and, you know, a chap is only working there for two days. He's only started two days ago and I'm listening to his breathing and, you know, he's just sitting at the desk and he's breathing hard and he's noticeable breathing through the mouth and he's, he's not doing physical exercise. He's sitting down, but he's breathing hard. I know that individual, as soon as he goes to do physical exercise, he's going to gas out too soon hmm. uh, because your breathing during rest is going to dictate how you breathe during physical exercise. And if you're breathing through the mouth, you're breathing faster, you're breathing more using the upper chest, but it's not sufficient for a good gas exchange to take place. You know, the oxygen uptake in the blood is 10 to 15 percent higher by breathing through the nose. Nose breathing slows down the breathing, slows down the breath. The, the breath is deeper. And uh, when you're taking the air deeper into your lungs, that's where the greatest concentration of blood is. So there's a better gas exchange can take place. So arterial oh. oxygen uptake is higher. Um, so um, I can't the, be the only one right now that as you're talking about this is like really hyper focused on my breathing. Like as you're saying that, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying really hard to listen to you, but I'm also like, breathe in, breathe out. Like, I didn't, I didn't think, I, I've never thought about my breathing this much before. And so I'm, I'm so attentive. Right. So what you're saying is by slowing down my breath, by breathing in through the nose and slowing down my breath, it leaves yes. the gas in my lungs longer, which allows yes. for the, uh, the blood that's coming through my pulmonary artery uh, yes. and the cap the pulmonary vessels the capillaries yes uh, to to then um to then exchange gas more efficiently and therefore my red blood cells take up more of that oxygen as as it goes there's a greater concentration of, of oxygen inside in the blood now the, the, coming to oxygen in the blood is a little bit more complicated because it's carried two ways and oftentimes we'll see that the saturation the Wait spo2 second. my yeah. high school biology professor is is gonna is gonna freak out about this it's carried too i thought it was just carried on on my red blood cells yeah well it's 98 percent of your oxygen is carried by hemoglobin which is a protein in the red blood cells but you have two percent that's carried dissolved directly in the blood mm. and the you know one is the concentration of your oxygen is a combination of both so we're looking at yes what's what how fully loaded are the hemoglobin with oxygen um but also to consider what's the oxygen uptake. So what's the overall concentration of oxygen in the blood? And that shows to be increased by 10% to 15% by nasal breathing. But generally, if we put a pulse oximeter to somebody, um, we don't always see a drop of their SpO2 when they mouth breathe. So I have to assume that it's affecting, it's what of, what's affecting is, is the dissolved concentration, the, dis the concentration of dissolved oxygen in the blood. And another thing that's happening here is that if we're breathing hard and fast, you know, we're losing too much carbon dioxide. And this is probably the biggest uh, Yeah, why would we, why wouldn't people. we want to lose the carbon dioxide? Because the release of oxygen from the red blood cells are dependent on, on carbon dioxide. And also carbon dioxide, one of its role is to open up blood vessels. So in the person who is fast breathing and hard breathing, their blood vessels are more likely to, to constrict. For example, cold hands, cold feet, 
Um, they're very common symptoms, brain fog, very common symptoms in people who are breathing hard. So yeah, so optimum breathing is, is light through the nose, diaphragmatic. Um, there's a natural pause in the exhalation. It's regular. And that makes sure that we have optimum carbon dioxide and oxygen um, to be used. So yeah, carbon dioxide is not just one of these, it's not just a waste gas, because in order for oxygen to be transferred from the red blood cells to the cells, we need CO2. Mm -hmm. And that's known since 1904. That's called the Bohr effect, B-O-H-R. And it was discovered by a Danish physiologist. Um, so despite that finding, and, and that's despite not, not, not being, the chemist Niels Bohr? No, but it's a relation, and I think it's his father. Oh, well. Um, yeah, there's a relation there. I think it's his father is Niels Bohr, and I'm not totally sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. That's a nerdy, um, that's a nerdy family. I mean, they're cool, but it's... We're <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty> sure. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the, the strange thing is that despite this being discovered and despite this being, you know, if you were to Google um, any of your, your nerdies out there, just like myself, you Google oxygen dissociation curve, mm -hmm. you'll see how the blood releases oxygen to the cells. Like I have people coming into me with fatigue and coming in with exhaustion. I measure their blood oxygen saturation and it's normal. The issue is not that they don't have enough oxygen in the blood. The real issue is how do we get the oxygen out of the blood to where it should be delivered right. to the cells? Right. But chronic, chronic overbreathing and breathing pattern disorders, they inhibit the release of oxygen. So as a result, then, the individual is breathing hard. They're taking in plenty of oxygen right. into their system, right. but they're just breathing it back out again. So would then, would your body then, I mean, would this sort of be like a negative feedback loop? Would your body then tell you to breathe harder because it's not getting yes, enough it oxygen? Can and then, yes. And so you have to interrupt that cycle. Yes, it can do because you've increased lactic acid. And, you know, if you're breathing too hard and you're losing too much CO2, it increases blood pH towards too alkaline. Okay, and I, know okay, I, want, I want to go back one second and get and, <laughs> sure. and, and just review some some high school biology here. Yes. Uh, if there's two types of respiration that your actual cells do, there's aerobic and anaerobic. Aerobic yes. produces a lot more cellular energy and does not create the lactic acid that comes into yes. your blood. Anaerobic yes. does not use oxygen. It actually reuses carbon dioxide in pulling the electrons through the and and does mm -hmm. a uh, and and makes less energy. I think it's like three ATP versus thirty eight, if I can remember high school well enough. Um, but the, mm -hmm. the it's a different cycle, and it creates as a byproduct the lactic acid, which creates all the yes. pain in your muscles when you're uh, exactly. when you're exercising. So yes. So what you're saying now to go back, too much, not enough carbon dioxide in the blood keeps the oxygen in the blood cells and out of your actual functioning cells, your neurons your muscles, all of the all of your organs that need the oxygen to create energy. And therefore, all of your actual cellular respiration is doing anaerobic respiration and creating excess lactic acid, even in a resting state, because you're not letting enough carbon dioxide sit in your blood? Yes, that's correct. And that's been documented. It's been documented in a number of disorders, um, including most recently is, is temporomandibular joint disease. And um, this is individuals having a lot of facial pain, and it can be due to an increased lactic acid as a result of because the fight or flight response and breathing too hard um, respiratory alkalosis as because of getting rid of carbon dioxide too much of it. All right. That's correct. Okay. So so we're having all of these consequences from from both sleep consequences. Now you're talking about performance consequences with your brain, performance consequences with your with in, in with athletic function. Yes. How What's what's the fix? How do we how do we stop it? I mean, I'm 
I don't consciously mouth breathe, but now, I mean, obviously I'm super focused on it right now and I'm trying my hardest not to mouth breathe. Sure. What do we do? Um, we, we first recognize it's a habit and that's all it is. You know, mouth breathing is a habit and people might say, well, I don't have my mouth open, but they may do. Do you wake up at a dry mouth in the morning? Yeah. You know, so mouth breathing is what we want to do is switch ideally from mouth to nose breathing. Now, 30%, well, up to 30% of the U.S. population have rhinitis. So their nose is stuffy. Yeah, I have a, I have it, terrible allergies constantly. So, so I, I wake first, up with a stuffy nose every morning. Okay. So we first do an exercise to decongest the nose. And the exercise involves holding of the breath. So for this exercise, um, it's very simple to do. And just if you're any of your listeners, if they have any heart complaints, don't do it, though. Um, and also if any of the females are pregnant. So if you have any kind of serious medical complaints, If you wouldn't get on it. a roller coaster at an amusement park, you know, those little signs that say these things, don't try this. <laughs> yes, there yes you go. exactly. So to decongest your nose, all you do is you just take a small breath in through, a normal breath in through your nose, because your nose is never really fully, totally blocked. So you can take a normal breath in through your nose, a normal breath out through your nose. You pinch your nose with your fingers, and then you walk around holding your breath. And you keep walking and holding your breath and walk until you feel that there's a strong air hunger that you really would like to take in some air. So walk as long as you can while you're holding your so you're, breath. You're holding your breath after exhaling. So there's no Always air. Always after nose? exhalation. Well, you're going to have some, but, right, 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 you know, but it's a normal breath in, normal breath out. And where do I, uh, pinch, we'll be my, down to, where do I pinch my nose above or below the nasal bone? Oh, uh, it doesn't really matter. The main thing is that there's no air going into oh, the oh, nose. Oh, literally closing my nose. Okay, I'm thinking like... Yes, yeah, so you're closing your nostrils to I'm hold th- your breath. I'm thinking like I had a... Um, what's the word? Like, like I have a bloody nose, so I'm pinching there. Okay, so I breathe in. <laughs> Take a I normal breath out. into your nose. Normal breath out through your nose. Pinch your nose with your fingers to hold your breath. And then start walking. And keep walking until you feel a fairly strong air hunger. And keep going. And when the air hunger gets pretty strong, then let go, but breathe in through your nose and calm your breathing. Wait a minute and do it again. And if you do it five times, your nose will be free. Holding of the breath opens up your nose. Because your, your body just goes, well, whatever is making my nose clogged is not as important as getting oxygen. And so it just lets your, it, it does that for you? I think, I think it's a good explanation because the two things that also physical exercise, but most certainly physical exercise with your mouth closed, if the body is sensing that there's a need for extra air, the nose opens up. And we're not entirely sure how it happens, but we believe and papers do show that it's linked to an increase of carbon dioxide in the blood. Mm. So what we're doing is we're purposely stopping breathing to increase CO2 in the blood because it's not getting out of the body through the lungs. So it's going to increase in the blood and it's the increase of CO2 in the blood, which is helping to decongest your nose. Wow. Once we do that a few times, and we have people do that quite often at the start. Well, look, you, know, you may have just saved me a fortune in in allergy pills every year. If I could well, clear my sinuses this way, that would be amazing. It will help. We we had a small pilot study done in an Irish hospital here about four years ago. And we had it published in the European um, Journal Clinical Otolaryngology. It reduced rhinitis symptoms by 70% at three-month follow-up. And there's also papers showing that carbon dioxide when administered into the nose for 60 seconds, it lasts within 10 minutes. And Sorry, it takes effect within 10 minutes and it lasts within 24 hours as an antihistamine. So it even prevents the mast cells from releasing histamine in the first place. Wow. And histamine is what's causing yeah. and contributing to symptoms of both rhinitis, which is hay fever, or you know perennial rhinitis, or asthma. 
So, yeah, and the wonderful thing about the nose is once you use it, it actually works better for you. But the problem is that once somebody has a stuffy nose, whether it's due to a deviated septum, whether it's due to nasal polyps, whether it's due to rhinitis, um, whether it's due to enlarged turbinates, once the nose is stuffy, they switch to mouth breathing. But once they switch to mouth breathing, that's it. It's a vicious cycle. So we have to breathe both in and out through the nose for the nose to work better. Okay. All right. So all right. So let's. I. I. We. I. You've established this idea of of a negative feedback cycle of us not getting enough oxygen into our actual cells, not having enough carbon dioxide in our blood to accomplish that. Now we've cleared yes. the. Now we know we had to clear the airway, which is that that breathing technique where you hold the breath and walk five times yes. until and yeah. and and that'll increase the CO two concentration open up yes. our nasal passages. Now we're breathing. Now we're more likely to through be breathing the nose. through our nose. What's the next yes. step? Yes, so the next step then is we want to start slowing down our breathing. So I have people put one hand on chest, one hand on tummy. Their lips are together. Tongue is resting on the roof of the mouth. And I get them to deliberately slow down the speed of the breath as it comes into the nose. And at the top of the breath, to take a total relaxed and really, really slow, relaxed exhalation. So we want to slow down the breath so much so that the individual feels that they are not getting enough air. So in the process of slowing down breathing, we also want to be taking in about 30% less air into the body. And this creates a feeling of air hunger. Now, the air hunger is signifying that carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. But as you practice it... Right. As, as, as somebody who scuba dives, that's one of the things I, I learned early on is that your desire to breathe when you're holding your breath for a long time is not lack of oxygen. It's it's yes. increased CO2 concentration in your blood. Yes, there's some other, there's some feedback receptors also coming from the diaphragm, but the primary stimulus to breathe is actually CO2. Um, that the central chemoreceptors in the brain, they're, primar they're primarily monitoring carbon dioxide in the blood. So what we do is we deliberately have the individual slow down their breathing to the point of air hunger. And carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood, but then they notice, number one is that they have increased watery saliva in the mouth, and number two, that they have increased body temperature. Their hands start to get warmer. So this can happen within three to four minutes, and it's involving the exact opposite to what people normally do. When people are stressed, they normally breathe harder, Right. but they're already breathing hard. Like if you ask somebody, you know, somebody comes in to me and I say to them, I say, how do you breathe when you get stressed? Does, does your breathing get faster or slower? They'll tell me, well, their breathing gets faster. It's more upper chest. Mm -hmm. They sigh more. Mm -hmm. They're panting. They're breathing harder. Right. And I say, how do you relax? Oh, I take a deep breath. And I say, show me the deep breath. And they take this big, big breath. And I say, all that's doing is already amplifying your stressed breathing. You need to do the opposite. If stress is causing your breathing to be fast, well, then to, to activate the relaxation response, you really need to slow down your breathing. But even more is slow down your breathing to the point of air hunger. Now, we've noticed that for 16 years, increased watery saliva in the mouth. And increased watery saliva in the mouth is activation of the parasympathetic response or the body's relaxation response. Conversely, and when we get stressed, our mouth gets dry. And I was reading an interesting book. It was kind of one of those books sitting on my bookshelf for years. And I didn't really, you know, everybody has a few books that you kind of you pick them up eventually. It's called The Intention Experiment by Lynn McTaggart. And uh, in that book, she talks about a, a surgeon who's performing surger, surgeries without anesthetic. So it was all under Whoa. hypnosis. 
Whoa. And yeah, no, it's, it's, there's, it happens. I met a surgeon myself here in Ireland. He was 92 years of age, met him about 20 years ago. He performed 3000 operations, um, including removal of varicose veins, like pretty serious surgeries, but without anesthetic, only by hypnosis. So in her book, <clears throat> she mentions and she talks about the surgeon had one prerequisite, and that was that the patient had increased watery saliva in the mouth. And again, this could be a very, you know, important clue here to that, that the body is sensing that when there's increased watery saliva in the mouth, the body's in a relaxation mode. But if we're stressed, the mouth goes dry. And if we mouth breathe, the mouth is dry. So it's coming back to the, the points when somebody when I have somebody really slow down their breathing, I want them to feel their hunger, not to the point that they're stressed. They should feel kind of like they're going for a walk. So it's fairly easy. And if they get stressed, I tell them to take a rest. And all they're doing is deliberately slowing down the speed of the breath in, really slowing down the speed of the breath out. Carbon dioxide increases in their blood. It activates the parasympathetic response, but also the increased carbon dioxide opens up their blood vessels. They feel warmer. And not only that, you've got what's called the right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve or, or the Bohr effect in that the body is delivering increased oxygen. So even though the person feels air hunger, the amount of oxygen delivered to the cells increases. Now, why do we have people do that exercise? Yeah. It's to change their breathing patterns from heavy and hard towards normal. So That's why. Uh, from, yeah, do, but, but how do I... How do I breathe shallow? Because I I feel like if do I have to spend, you said three to four minutes really focused on my breath and breathing slowly enough yes. that slowly enough that I get air hunger. That's, yes, you'd that's want to be way. doing it. You'd want to be doing it for say twenty minutes twice a day. I know that sounds a lot, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to reverse a habit, maybe 10, 15 years of hard breathing. Yeah, now, at we least also, we also do bring in diaphragmatic breathing, so. The whole purpose then is to breathe using the diaphragm, but to breathe really lightly. Um, you know, people who meditate will identify with this because sure. if you go into a state of meditation, your breathing naturally slows down. But another issue here is that the people who need to do the meditation the most can't do it because their mind is so active and they get frustrated. So I bypass, you know, the whole relaxation. I just get them to focus on their breathing, deliberately slow down the breath which actually minds it anchors the mind to the breath because you've got a goal there of slowing down the breath deliberately to create air hunger and it's that feeling of air hunger that anchors the mind onto the breath so we're able to slip in meditation but yeah like it just makes sense that light breathing is healthy hard right. breathing is not healthy right you know i use the example in the book if you were going for a run with an elite athlete how would you expect that person to breathe that person would have liked breathing. Yeah, I mean, especially at the beginning, right? They, 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 the, the whole thing when you're trying to increase your distance with running is to yes. stay is to stay as light and uh, and uh, and stay right in that peak oxygen performance area as as long as you can, that peak heart rate, and keeping your breath yes. regular throughout it and not huffing and puffing. That's the difference between running and uh, jogging and wind sprints. Yes, and you can measure that. You know, there's a there's a, a very simple breath hold time test. And this has also been published now in journals, including the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy. They've written a number of papers on it. So any of your listeners who want to measure functional breathing, mm -hmm. all you need is a watch or a clock or whatever. Take a normal breath in through your nose. You're sitting down. Take a normal breath in through your nose. 
a normal breath out through your nose, pinch your nose with your fingers and hold your breath and time it. How long does it take until you feel the first definite desire to breathe? And this is the first distinct reaction of your body to take a breath. Mm. And that time there will give you feedback of the onset and endurance of breathlessness. So people who get breathless very easy during sports, I measured their breath hold time during rest. And that gives me feedback of the chemosensitivity of their body to the gases that actually cause breathlessness. Mm. So we can measure their breath hold time. And the cutoff point is 25 seconds. If you've got less than 25 seconds, you're more likely to, to have disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise. And you can have an athlete that's training hard, but if they're training hard and continue hard breathing, um, they're, they're going to be gassing out too soon. So they might find that they're, they're training plateaus or they might find that no matter how hard they train, they just can't seem to get over that, you know, that, that hump um, and breathing should be looked at. Uh, and, so, and so what would be ideal? Can, can you adjust that, 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 well, can you train yourself yes. to have something beyond that 25 seconds? Like, let's say I'm under yes. 25 seconds. How do I train yeah. myself to get more comfortable? The, the main exercise that we do is the breathe light exercise. Mm-hmm. And I kind of give you the basis of it there. Um, you know, if people wanted to get a kind of free intro into it, I did a TED talk and during the TED talk, I wanted to, to kind of impart the benefits of slow breathing. So I actually got the audience to deliberately slow down their breath. Um, so you'll see the instruction there. If you were to practice slowing down your breathing and breathing through your nose, that's functional breathing training and using your diaphragm, your breath hold time will increase. Generally, we would expect about three to four seconds over the first few weeks. And as your breath hold time increases, your breathing becomes lighter. So then your breathing is slower, it's lighter, and it's more normal. And then it translates into sleep, less snoring. Because how does a person, you know, if you've got somebody who's snoring, they're breathing hard during sleep. Right. We it's, need to it's change creating their breathing. all that vibration that sounds like exactly. wood song. Yeah. And, you know, doctors always will look at airway, but they don't look at flow. And that's really what I'm interested in because it's the negative pressure created during inspiration that's causing both snoring, but also it's it's contributing to obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So, and there's also, you know, when we're looking at the entire airway, as I mentioned at the start, I had asthma. But when we have asthma, we don't just have asthma. We also have a stuffy nose, more likely. And um, because the entire airway of the nose, the nasal cavity, the pharynx, the larynx, the trachea, into the bronchi, bronchioles, it's one airway. It's a unified airway. I know when we go to a hospital, you know, we'll go to an ear, nose and throat for for the nose and we go to a pulmonologist for the lungs. But in actual fact, whatever happens in the lungs will travel up to the nose and whatever happens in the nose will travel down to the lungs. So we we need to consider the airway in its entirety. And your diaphragm muscle is directly linked to the upper airway dilating muscles. So this is coming back to obstructive sleep apnea during wakefulness. The muscles in your throat are keeping the the airway open. You don't have to be worried about your airway collapsing during wakefulness. But during sleep, these muscles get lazy. Right. So I want to improve the functioning of the upper airway dilator muscles. They are directly linked with the diaphragm muscle. Now, it is true that when we put on a bit of weight, um, increased obesity and increased weight around the tummy, Mm -hmm. it compresses the diaphragm. Diaphragm isn't able to work as effectively as it should do. And as a result, the messaging to the upper airway dilator muscles, they're not working as good as they should do. So that's why 
one of the contributory factors of increased weight, it also increases um, obstructive sleep apnea. So, but even for somebody who's obese, start, you know, activating your diaphragm and breathing through your nose. Your nose is directly linked with your diaphragm and mouth is directly linked with the upper chest. So, so, so break that down again. When, when, you're, when you're overweight, you're, yes. you're more likely, to, more pressure on the diaphragm, which makes it harder to have that kind of breathing? Yes, correct. Yes, because with every breath during rest, our diaphragm moves down by about one to two centimeters. And by doing that, the intercostal muscles as well, the lower ribs, they move out. And as they do so, they increase the volume inside in the chest, and that causes air to come into the body. But if we've got fat around the belly, the diaphragm doesn't work as well as it should do. Mm. And as a result, then the communication between the diaphragm and the upper airway dilator muscles, that the throat is more likely to collapse when we don't use our diaphragm. So if we are breathing hard using the upper chest, the throat is more likely to collapse. Now, with, with increased weight, we also have increased weight around the throat mm -hmm. and also the tongue gets fatter. But I'm just identifying here, we're talking about the diaphragm muscle. Right. Um, that too is important to use, even if you have obesity and also to get the tongue up into the roof of the mouth. So three quarters of our tongue should be resting in the roof of the mouth. Um, and then therefore it t it's taking the tongue out of the throat. And that's, wow. Okay. So, and that's, and you, so you've just solved the correlation between increased weight and, um, I, 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 I wasn't aware of how specific the core, I mean, I knew that there was a correlation between incre incre increased weight and snoring yes. and sleep apnea. Like we, we've talked about that on the air before, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of the mechanism and why that was. I, I just, um, and now, now we know that's, that's, that's actually incredible. Okay. So we start this process where is, I, I, I feel like though, what is every day, twice a day for 20 minutes to break the habit is how we can start to undo this process, even if we're a little bit overweight. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like I would say to people coming in with sleep issues, I'd have them do breathe light for about 15 to 20 minutes before they go to sleep. So say, for instance, they're watching a movie, mm -hmm. listening to radio or doing mm -hmm. something late in the evening. Um, put one hand on chest, one hand on tummy and deliberately slow down your breathing to the point that you feel that you're not getting enough air. And you want to try and maintain a regular rhythm. And what that's doing is a number of things. It's activating the parasympathetic response so that you're prepared for sleep. And because it's really important that we're switched off, you know, it's kind of go, go, go. Western society is a little bit crazy. And for sleep, we want to be totally relaxed. So we do, I do that. I encourage people, yeah, 20 minutes before sleep, it helps you to be relaxed, but it also helps to calm down your breathing. And then we go to sleep. We actually use paper tape across the lips. I know you're going to laugh at that. Um, it's something that we've been advocating for about 20 years, but now there are now products on the market on Amazon. You will see them um, for lip taping, for getting them out closed. So there's an entire industry actually created around the whole lip taping. There's a dentist in Colorado. His name is Dr. Frank Seaman, and he's a dentist for about 30 or 40 years, but he was getting frustrated. His patients, they used to keep on breaking their crowns. So he'd repair their teeth. But a few months later, they'd come back in because their teeth had broken. Right. And they were bruxing, grinding during their sleep, which is a sleep problem. If somebody is bruxing, it's a sleep issue. Right. So he started getting them to tape their mouth. And he was finding that their bruxing was reducing quite significantly. Mm. So he actually then developed a sleep tape called Lip Seal Tape. So, yeah, so there's products on the market um, that's, 
and I didn't know Frank Seaman at all. You know, just it's it's kind of interesting. We were telling people to tape up. 20 years we're doing it. Mm-hmm. I've been taping my mouth because how do you know that your lips are together? You know, and it's just one of those things now, you know, you go to sleep. Um, we have another orthodontist in California. His name is Dr. William Hang. And I'm fascinated with William Hang always because he's one of those great orthodontists that looks at the airway. He's not just looking at teeth. Um, because if we have, say, teeth extracted when we are kids, what happens is that the jaws then can get pushed back and our airway in an adult is only 1.2 centimeters. So it's about a half an inch. It's mm. about the size of your thumb. Now, if you have teeth extracted during childhood, what can happen is that the jaws then can be set back in the face and it makes the airway smaller. And if the airway is getting smaller, this in turn is increasing our risk of sleep problems. So Bill Hang or William Hang, Dr. William Hang, he always looks at airway first and teeth second. Um, but he tells me a story that when he goes long distance flying across America, he actually uses the paper tape in the flights. So, yeah, Is the air hostesses right? are walking around. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we have plenty well, of stories. Also, it about discourages your seatmate from trying to talk to you, which is kind of <laughs> yeah, nice. True. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose if you see your your the per- person next to you taped up, you probably don't want to talk to them. Right. At that exactly. Point, anyway. <laughs> I'm not talking to this weirdo. Yeah. So, yeah, so taping is really good. Um, like, don't do it if you drank alcohol and just kind of common sense things. But, yeah, no, it's really it's really important that we, we have stabilization of the jaw, that the jaws are nice and relaxed, lips are together, tongue is in the roof of the mouth, and breathing is in and out through the nose. All right. With, and, and, and the tape, the tape is, 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 you can just get it on Amazon. Yeah, no, you can pick it up. Lip seal tape is the one I, I think it's pretty good. Um, there's... There's other brands as well, Somnifix. Um, there's another one, 3M one-inch micropore tape would be, say, that you can just buy in any drugstore. Okay. It's not specifically for using in the mouth. Um, it wouldn't be purposely developed for that. But, you know, it could also suffice. So, yeah, so it's it's relatively easy to get. I'll put a link to the lip tape from Amazon in, in the show notes. Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, so that's the basis, the basics of of breathing through the nose. Uh, why why it's important. Have you found a lot of pushback? I mean, you've talked about a lot of doctors that are supportive. Like, I'm thinking right now about specifically about this this other breathing expert, Wim Hof. Uh, yes. And he is all about breathing more. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. We have some similarities now. Like, for instance, I've had four papers now. I've been co-authors. Um, that I've been involved in a number of papers that have been published, including in the American Journal of um, Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, looking at mouth breathing in children. And these were asthmatic kids. Their children's asthma improved and their sleep improved. So now coming back to the Wim Hof method, I think it's a very interesting method. Um, it's more likely, you know, it involves 30 hard breaths of hyperventilation, mm-hmm. followed by an exhalation and you hold your breath and you hold your breath um, for reasonably as long as you can, then you take a breath in, you hold it for 10 seconds, mm-hmm. and then you repeat the cycle of 30 hard breaths. We also do breath holding. So I get an individual, we work with athletes, and when I'm working with an athlete, I want to push the boundaries here. So I would get, so I'll talk about what we do, and then I can make a comparison with Wim Hof. So an athlete comes in to me, we do hypoxic, hypercapnic training. So we use pulse yeah, oximetry. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, you got to say, you got to break that down into layman's terms. Yeah, Assuming no, that we I haven't am. written a paper on this. 
What is hypoxic training? So basically, hypoxic is that we're we're lowering blood oxygen saturation. Got it. Uh, so that we're depriving the body of oxygen, and hypercaptic is that we're increasing carbon dioxide in the blood. Okay. Got so it. for example, if you were to consider somebody doing a sprint, all out sprint with your mouth closed, your blood oxygen saturation might drop from normal of say ninety eight percent down to about ninety one ninety two percent your carbon dioxide levels will stay pretty the same as during rest. And people sprint to, you know, stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. In other words, to push their body to train so that you're preparing for sprinting, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, with breath holding, we take a normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch the nose, we start walking, then we start jogging, then we start running, and then afterwards, then we have minimal breathing for about six breaths. We use pulse oximetry, and we drop the SpO2 down to about 85%. And that's simulating a height of about four to 5,000 meters. So it's a major stress to the body. But at the same time, carbon dioxide is increasing quite significantly in the blood um, from about 40 millimeter of mercury pressure, which would be normal, to a plus 50. Okay, so wait, that's right. why so, so, so by, by holding the breath while performing yes. exercises... You can yeah, simulate walking, jogging. Yes. Right. So so we could have we could have our Olympic athletes train not in Colorado anymore? Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's it's really breath holding is a super thing for athletes to be doing. And we've a huge there's a huge amount, well it's, I'd say even now about fifteen, twenty, thirty papers on it. There's a good lot of research now. It's coming out of Europe, not so much in the, from the United States. Well, but um, we, we, there's a reason why our Olympic training centers are in Colorado. I mean, not only are there... because of altitude, right, yes. Yeah. But the effect only lasts for about two weeks. You know, if you go up into altitude, um, you, you know, it's, you will get changes to the blood. And the whole purpose of it is to provoke the body. In other words, you're exposing the body to reduced atmospheric pressure mm -hmm. when you're at altitude. Um, oxygen is still 21% up there, but the pressure is less. And as a result, the amount of oxygen in the blood drops. And this forces then the body to make adaptations to improve aerobic capacity. So erythropoietin, which is commonly known as EPO, uh, that's a naturally occurring hormone in the body. So if you stay at altitude for a period of time, your kidneys become hypoxic because they're not getting enough oxygen. And they synthesize the hormone um, EPO. And erythropoietin, by having an increased EPO, it's, it matures the, the red blood cells in the bone marrow. So it increases the, the oxygen carrying capacity. But breath holding has been shown to do the same thing. And five repetitions of breath holding, dropping your SpO2 down to about 85%. And if you do three sets, it's equivalent to six hours at altitude. But the one thing about this is that we're also generating a hypercapnic response. Um, and it's an improve, it's increasing respiratory muscle strength, but it's opening up the airways. There's other things going on there, you know, in terms of, so there is benefits, of course, to doing high altitude training, but maybe many athletes can't afford it. Right. Um, we can do this in the sitting room. Like I could have somebody anywhere, anywhere at sea level, and we can reproduce it consistently. Yeah. And you can do that. I, do you need to get a pulse ox monitor? Is that? Yeah, they're helpful because it kind of, you know, you could still do it without it, you know. Um, but it's really, it's really helpful to see the change of your blood oxygen saturation, and the pulse oximeters that we use. And I have no financial interest around, you know, that kind of way. But we use Nonin, which are an American brand. You can buy them cheap. Uh, you can buy them for twenty or thirty dollars. The ones that kind of made in China, and 
but they're just not responsive enough. So I would say that maybe spend $90 or $100. If you're kind of serious athlete, you want to spend $100, you get a cheaper Nonin brand. Um, it is more responsive. So you'll actually see the blood oxygen saturation drop. Yeah, so I've I've created a series of exercises, maybe six, seven, eight exercises, all designed to disturb the blood acid base balance of the body. So what happens there is that we're depriving the body of oxygen, including inside in the muscle. And it this is forcing the, the buffering capacity inside in the muscle to increase. So this, therefore, then delays lactic acid and fatigue. And we've seen it even with elite athletes that we can make fairly significant changes with them. Um, you know, because most athletes are not doing this. That's no, the thing. I did. I, I, yeah. Well, I, I, I should say that when I was when I was a high school athlete, I was I was, aquatics was my thing, and we yes. used to do um, yes. we used to do hypoxic training where you would um, you, uh, when you're swimming your laps, you would be, they would limit the number of breaths you were allowed to take on a given lap yes. so that you weren't breathing yes. every stroke. And it was meant to make your stroke more efficient and get you in the habit yeah. of holding your breath longer. But what I'm yes. hearing you say is that there was a, there were some additional benefits that maybe even my coaches didn't know about. Yeah, totally. Um, councilman, you know, back in the 80s, like he was talking about hypoxic training. But during swimming, uh, I think he was taking having the athletes to breathe in and hold. Mm-hmm. And if you breathe in and hold, you're probably unlikely to drop your blood oxygen saturation unless you really push it. Right. So it's more difficult to produce. So. Breathing in and hold is more likely to be increased carbon dioxide. It's a hypercapnic response, but not, a not necessarily exactly. But what we would so that's it wasn't just breathing and hold. Like we would have these laps where you couldn't take a single breath on the entire lap. So we would, uh, yeah, we would breathe in and hold, but we would definitely drop our oxygen levels. Sure, and then then it would be hypoxic. It's more difficult to do. That's why we all of our exercises in the book. It's it's always breathe in through your nose, breathe out through your nose because. After you do an exhale hold, um, it's a lot easier then to drop your your blood oxygen saturation. Got it. Okay. So coming back to the Wim Hof technique. Yes. So the Wim Hof technique then is if you breathe hard for 30 breaths, it doesn't increase your SpO2. Um, Your blood is already already almost fully saturated. It will increase the pressure of O2 in the blood, and that will change the diffusion of oxygen from the blood to the cells. However... At the same time, the hyperventilation is causing too much carbon dioxide to be removed from the blood. And this causes what's called a left shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. But in simple terms, the red blood cells hold on to oxygen more readily. So it's difficult to know the degree of oxygen increase um, by virtue of hyperventilation. And when you hyperventilate for 30 breaths, by getting rid of carbon dioxide, you will be able to hold your breath for a lot longer. So the Wim Hof technique would be a stronger hypoxic stimulus, but it's not hypercapnic. It's like it's low oxygen and it's also low CO2. Mm-hmm. Now, what the only caveat that I have with it is that if you hyperventilate and if you drop your SpO2 down below 60%, you're at risk of passing out. So hypoxic syncope, it's, it's caused. And that's why, you know, on one aspect from a safety point of view, I just say to people, if you were doing it, you know, wear a pulse oximetry, but just be aware that you don't want to be dropping and definitely don't do it in water because right. you'll have underwater blackout. Right, right, um, right. You don't want to be dropping your SpO2 down to below 60%. And you really don't want to do it anyway because 85% is a stress. And that's part of what we're doing here. We're stressing the body. 
we're taking the body out of its comfort zone. You know, we're pushing the body, we're disturbing the blood acid base balance. And I think that's why some of the adaptations that we're seeing from the Wim Hof method and um, we're seeing because of the stress response, but you'll also get them by doing breath tolling without hyperventilation. And it also comes back to it. I want to kind of change people's functional breathing. So I have an athlete coming into me. I want to look at their functional breathing. How is their everyday breathing? How is their sleep? How is their breathing during regular exercise? And also to do the second pillar, which will be breath holding. That just breath holding and hyperventilation, um, if you're just doing that, also pay attention to how are you breathing every day because that too is very important to be looking at. All right. So you so your issue with the Wim, the Wim Hof thing is that he what that he that he makes people too too uh, they they breathe they take too much air in at the beginning and it's stopping the the CO two from happening. The CO two from it, it gets rid of a lot of carbon dioxide, like thirty hard breaths. Um, you'll definitely lower CO two in the blood to right. to less than half, and, and that just gets your blood oxygen up, but doesn't actually do anything for your organs. Well, it's difficult to know. This is the trade-off, and we can't figure it out. You know, we do know that the concentration of oxygen in the blood increases, but we also know that the bond between the oxygen and, and sorry, red blood cells and oxygen, that bond also increases. So we don't know, um, is it actually increasing the amount of oxygen delivered to the cells? And, you know, the other thing is that I would say that if people have a bolt score, the breath hold time, of less than 25 seconds, just to be careful, because they're more likely to have constriction of blood vessels. Like what happens when you breathe hard? Number one is your blood vessels constrict. Number two is your airways constrict. Number three, you are going into a hyper, you know, a stress response. So that mightn't be suitable for everybody. So I think the Wim Hof method is wonderful. Um, you know, I think it's great. I think he's done great work putting it out there. And it's a very interesting adaptation that stress response, you know, and I think we we will know more about it in the future. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's really good. And, yeah, I've just got a few caveats on it, but overall, it's, it's good. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I I have some serious thinking to do about about my, my breathing. And, <laughs> and like, I, what I really need is to take a minute, try some of these different exercises and 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 stop focusing so much on my breath as like right now I'm overthinking every single breath in and I kind of want to try the exercises and and take some deep breaths and see uh, both metaphorically and literally uh, take some breaths and sort of see how how this actually makes me feel and I because I, I want to experiment I know John's been experimenting on himself with this I, mm -hmm. I actually really want to try some of this so um, I, I just want to thank you Dr. Mc, or Professor McCune for for being a part of this and uh, I'll put a link to how do, how do you want people to get in touch with you? I'm going to put a link to the Buteco Clinic International in the show notes. How can people follow up with you? Um, so we have oxygenadvantage.com is the main website for sports performance. Okay. And uh, the book, The Oxygen Advantage. And we've also YouTube channels where we've got some of the exercise there in terms of Oxygen Advantage is the YouTube channel. Yeah, so oxygenadvantage.com is the main way to contact us. And I'd say that one of the best things that you could do is open up your nose using the breath hold exercise right because that tells you then straight away you know you can dilate your airways and uh, the second exercise really slow down. don't worry about if you're using your diaphragm at the moment just really slow down your breathing um even if it's upper chest it wouldn't be concerned initially you know slow down your breathing to get air hunger 
and see does it change body temperature and saliva in the mouth. In other words, can you influence the autonomic nervous system through the breath? You'll find that you can. That's incredible. Okay, and so I, my last question was going to be, and you've just answered it, what is the one thing oh, yeah. you want people to start doing right away? Uh, and yes. I and I hear you say that it's doing that doing that that breath holding or that that uh, oxygen deprivation. How do you characterize it? That exercise where you breathe out yeah, and so, hold your breath, breath holding? Uh, we just call it simulation of altitude training. Sim Technically, it'd be hypoxic, hypercapnic. Ah, well, it's there it is hypoxic, again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so breathe light. It's just really about finding, find out the connection because many people have breathing exercises and sometimes people say to me, well, my yoga teacher tells me to breathe hard. I say, that's fine. I say, how about trying slowing down your breathing? How about seeing, can you influence right, your body temperature? Right. You know, people have been cold hands for years and they've never put that connection together. I'm people one of them. Who are I'm one waking of them. Up, waking up exhausted. Um, you know, we shouldn't wake up exhausted in the morning. We should be waking up bouncing with energy. And this is not related to age necessarily because I was 15 waking up exhausted and right. then, you know, put into school to, to concentrate. How can we concentrate if we right. don't have the energy? Um, so yeah, wear some tape on your lips. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, wear some tape on your <laughs> lips, give this thing a try and yes. check out, check out McEwen's, uh, some professor McEwen's videos online. Oh, again, I'll put a link to the Institute, the oxygen advantage, uh, website, as well as to your YouTube channel online. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. Yeah. And thanks very much. It was great. Thanks, Gib. So, Gib, I just, uh, gosh, the last several interviews that you've done have been so incredibly useful, you know, and it's it's all cutting-edge stuff. I mean, isn't it amazing that, that we're, you're always looking for, the, you know, the pill or the right exercise or the this or the that, and it's really it's really pretty much simple, right? Sit-ups, push-ups, you know, run, and breathe correctly. Yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, we, organic, I call, I call those organic workouts. Right, you know, like really, yeah. Really, really, body yeah. weight workouts, it's really important. Body weight squats, man. If you really want to make a change in your fitness, you could just do body weight squats throughout the day. You don't need a full-time thing at the gym. Just move your booty up and down, bending at the waist properly, bending at the knees properly. That's that's that would that would increase your fitness unless you're already at under 15% body fat. You should be doing that. Well, and I'm, breathing I, is, is uh, yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to go and Google a bunch of uh, of uh, elite athletes and watch them run. I can't. I just can't believe they have their mouth closed. They and we, when you watch like the big the big uh, marathoners, they they have their mouth closed. They're really breathing calmly because if if you're running a five hour or, or the, the world record is like two hours and five minutes for a marathon, but if you if even if you're running more than a sprint, right? You can't afford to go all out the whole time. You've got to have that calming feeling in your body, and that comes with that slow breathing. I love the fact that you can train at altitude by doing these these uh, uh, Patrick McCune exercises, these oxygen advantage exercises. It, it's just like Olympic athletes get. So I love, I love that. So um, and so the taping of the mouth is really training yourself to breathe more. Through it's your just nose, breaking right? the habit of of the subconscious way we breathe through our mouths, especially when we're sleeping. Thank you guys so much for listening. That is it for our show today. Uh, thanks again to Patrick McCune. Links to all of his stuff in the show notes, including his book and the uh, Buteco uh, Clinic International in Ireland. All of that is linked in the show notes and a couple of the things that he mentioned, like uh, the pulse ox meter and stuff. Um, if you like our show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And you may notice we do not have sponsors in the show. What the one number one thing you can do for us, one is to go ahead and, and get the uh, click on the books for the guests that we have, but also tell your friends about the show. If you like the show, please tell them. 
Uh, you share it with one friend. We'll double our listenership in one week. So rate, comment, and subscribe. If you want to follow up with us, uh, facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend the most time. That's John's Facebook page. We do Facebook Lives all the time. Also, at John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram. I am Gib Gerard. I am facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at John Tesh on Twitter, at Gib Gerard on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. I answer everything. <laughs> <laughs>